Free Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 143, Interviews from Sun and Fun 2017, coming up next on the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Rosleski, Tom Frick, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Well, folks, welcome to a special edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast. I'm joined tonight by Russ Rosleski. Hey, Russ, welcome to the podcast this evening. Carl, it's great to be back, I guess. Yes. I mean, we were all just live there a couple weeks ago and, at, uh, at Sun of Fun. It's great to talk to you again. Yeah, and you know, that was such a cool show, Sun and Fun. It always is. It's always a lot of fun. Uh, one of the things that we're doing is, uh, is this special edition here. It's just Russ and I tonight uh, talking, actually introducing uh, some of the interviews. I know in the in the last uh, year, 2016, we didn't quite get all the interviews out there. These interviews that we have are also going to be on Chats from the Deck. Uh, you can go to Sun and Fun Radio and uh, flysnf.org, where you can link to Sun and Fun Radio. Of course, it's streamed all year long on liveatc.net slash snf. But we want to make sure that you, the audience, has... Uh, access to these interviews, these really cool interviews that Russ actually is the one that did most of mine. I kind of took a different stance this year. Uh, amazingly enough, I went out and had fun this year, Russ. Can you believe that? I find that very difficult to believe. And you actually told me earlier that there are airplanes at this air show. Is that right? Well, you know, in the in the years past, I've always volunteered. And I knew that there was airplanes there because like, I'd hear them. I actually walked around and looked at some of them. Did something new this year. I actually put them on my Facebook page, pictures of airplanes and people and stuff like that. So instead of spending 12 hours at the radio station, I decided to go out and take pictures of the people that we interviewed on the radio. And, uh, and of course, go back and check out those. They're on my face, my personal Facebook page. So uh, it's at, you know, Carl Valeria on Facebook.com. And, man, it was so neat because I actually, when you're away from the radio, you talk to people. There's a much, it's a frank discussion, and it's really cool. And you talk to people, and everybody asks, you know, what was your favorite thing about Sun and Fun, of course, any air show, uh, air venture, et cetera. It's always, you know, it's the people. And it truly is. And you find out all these interesting things. And it, it's all this stuff coming at you from so many angles. I mean, Russ, I'm sure you, you saw so many things and got all this information overload during the week. Yeah, it was so much fun. You're right. And, of course, the, the people make, that, make it that way. And I got to talk to just a ton of interesting folks with interesting stories, many of which we're going to hear in just a few minutes. But, but, Carl, you're absolutely right. It was a blast. And... And definitely, I can't wait to go back next year. Well, we're going to try to make it out to some more air shows. I'm, I've been uh, saying I'm going to make it to Oshkosh this year, and I'm trying to get the time off from work. And I, I know I'm going to make it for a few days at least, and I can't wait for that one. But we're going to try to get out to uh, more and more air shows. So if you have one in your area, make sure you let us know. We'll try to come by and, uh, and record some interviews. So if you're not able to make an air show, say it's in your local area, and we have somebody that's out there that's one of our own hosts, 
we'll visit the air show and, and record some interviews, record part of the air show, and that way you can enjoy it uh, on this podcast here. But uh, anyway, without further ado, let's talk a little bit about some of the interviews we've done here. Uh, like I said, uh, it was both uh, Russ and I that did some of the interviews. Actually, I only have one here that I did a recorded interview with. Uh, most of them were on the deck live, but uh, that was actually uh, with mine. It was just the one with Kevin Lacey and uh, also had the uh, South Southern Region or Southeast Region uh, uh, Aviation Maintenance Technician uh, Award winner. And that was kind of an interesting interview. Plus, one of the things, a big shout out to Kevin Lacey. He has really gotten involved with the local general aviation community as far as as trying to promote aviation with with young folks, both careers and also promoting it as a, as a hobby, and uh, and it does when you get into aviation, it helps in so many different ways, in in so many different fields. Whether you get into it on the private pilot le- uh, level, up to the instrument, the commercial, if you don't go into it as a career, it's still it's it's a wonderful thing to to get into and enjoy. And he's very much involved with those uh, Eagles Nest projects, and uh, really big shout out to Kevin there. Um, now. Russ, you really banged it out of the park this year, like in years past, and you were running around. I know you were able to enjoy yourself a little bit more this year, but you have quite a few interviews uh, coming up here. So give us kind of a little highlight of some of the some of the highlights of some of these and, and some of the interesting interviews you've done. Yeah, that's right. I got to go around it and kind of wander the grounds and look and see what kind of uh, interesting stories and and products and people that I could talk to. And we've got quite a few, kind of a wide variety. And I was, remember I was joking with you, Carl, I think uh, at Son of Fun saying something like, you know, if, um, if someone doesn't, you know, find the, the, the interview that we're is currently playing interesting, just skip ahead a few minutes and you'll find something completely different. So you'll, you, <laughs> so hopefully we have something here for everybody. And I've got, uh, you know, a couple of aircraft manufacturers. Uh, we've got a couple of air show pilots, uh, some people with, you know, flying your own type of aero adventures. Uh, Jason Shepard from M0A, I talked to him. Always an interesting uh, chat there. A couple of, two groups of teenagers that flew down. Uh, some some charity work. At NORAD, how not to get intercepted. A bunch of just interesting little interviews. And, and they're all generally in the uh, five to ten minute range. So not real long, but uh, but pretty interesting. Pretty brief and to the point, I think. Well, I tell you what, Russ, why don't we uh, let the uh, listeners listen to the, the different interviews. And like Russ said, if uh, wait a few minutes. If you find one, in, one not as interesting, uh, you'll, you'll be hearing another one shortly afterwards. So let's go to those interviews, Russ, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you folks after, after you listen to them. So enjoy the show. Now entering cruise flight. This is Russ Rosleski from the Stuck Mike Avcast reporting for Sun and Fun Radio. And I'm talking now with Jared and Jordan Hildreth. Uh, these two 18-year-old twins, not identical twins as I found out, but fraternal twins, uh, have a pretty interesting story about uh, their journey through aviation starting when they were just 15. Uh, Jared, Jordan, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Doing great. So what are we here to talk about? We're here to talk about our beautiful Cessna 150. So Cessna 150, okay, yeah, there's a lot of them out there. What makes this one quite so special, though? Well, whenever we were 15, our dad bought us a 150 from Indianapolis, Indiana, and uh, it was a basket case. I mean, it was it was a piece of work. So we, uh, my brother and I stripped the wings off, took the engine off, stripped all the paint, and uh, then had it repainted and redid everything. And Jordan can tell you more of what we did in detail. 
Yeah, I want to know because that sounds like quite the project. <laughs> well, it all it all started with um, we're, our family's in the oil and gas industry in West Virginia. We have a mechanic shop, paint shop, everything there, and uh, we stripped the stripped all of the paint off the aircraft and uh, painted it. And we have an upholstery shop in Spencer, West Virginia, like every good small town does. And um, we got all of our seats and interior redone. We still have our old steam gauges, but that's okay. It's good to learn to fly in. And uh, did a top overhaul on the engine with a retired A&P mechanic that we had at the shop and uh, went on from there. How long did the whole process of restoration take you? Uh, the restoration process took about four months in total. Well, you were putting a lot of work in to get it done in four months. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So, But then it gets even more interesting because you restored this, this basket case, as you said, of an aircraft. And then learned to do something in it, didn't you? Yeah. We learned to fly out of Mallory Airport in Spencer, or in South Charleston then. So you restored an aircraft, then learned to fly in the aircraft. That's a pretty cool story. What was it like? I mean, you, you certainly had more of a connection with that airplane than you know any of the airplanes I flew to learn you know, learn to fly. Well, it, it made a difference because we, we were in that engine. We were in every aspect of that airplane. So we understood how it worked. We understood how... Uh, how an airplane even flew, you know. So we got in the airplane, we took lessons, and um, we learned to fly, and we got our private pilot's license, and it, it was a great accomplishment for us to to not only rebuild this airplane, but to also receive our private pilot, pilot's license. So that was, what, about two years ago? Y yes, about two years ago. Okay. And so this is your first trip, then, to Sun and Fun in this airplane, right? Yes, sir. And it, and it makes it even more special because this is our, actually our 18th year at Sun and Fun. And, uh, cause we, our dad's been a pilot for 49 some years or something. And we've been coming here in hand baskets since we were little. And we came here and this is our first year we got to actually fly down here. And it's a great accomplishment. What was it like, uh, doing the, doing the flight down here? Any uh, weather issues or flight planning challenges or anything like that? Well, we had a, a nine hour flight time. So we planned, two-hour legs, and we would switch each time. But uh, the only weather that we encountered was in between uh, Spencer and Rutherton, Rutherfordton. We uh, had a complete overcast layer below us for about uh, 30 nautical miles that we had to before we cleared the mountains. So, But other than that, we were rested up after the two hours that the other one flew and uh, made it. So do you... You sit there in every stop, you'd switch seats or something like that? Yeah, we'd switch seats every other leg, or every leg, so you get kind of rested up. And that, that that's a benefit, too, having two pilots, and it wasn't as extreme as we thought it would be. But, man, when Jared flew the last leg into Lakeland, as soon as we touched down, you're like, yes. <laughs> you know, that's a scary thing. I remember helping Dad out when we come down before, you know, being the quote-unquote co-pilot. We didn't really know what we were doing, but we tried to think we did. And we were in there, and we were saying, man, this is awesome. I just helped land at Sun and Fun. And then when you actually do it, it's it's a totally different feeling. <laughs> it's a great feeling, isn't it? So how about that arrival procedure? What was that like for you guys? Well, I studied and studied and studied because it, from the beginning, I had the plan that I was going to make the last leg. I've got to know this by heart, all the frequencies, everything. And then we made it here on Sunday, and we didn't even have to go through the arrival <laughs> procedure. We called Tower, followed in a 172, no biggie, so... <laughs> Well, I guess it's better to be prepared then, isn't it, yeah. though? Yeah, but it looks looks like I, it lucked out. I could have done that procedure in any plane. I could have made it. I knew it so well. So where do you two see your uh, aviation uh, future going? I mean, is this going to be a career thing or a hobby or what? And is it different for each of you? 
Well, uh, we're actually working on receiving our instrument training now. But uh, to me personally, as Jordan, I don't really see a future uh, as a career, I guess, in aviation. But, uh, yes, of course, uh, it's a great hobby to have, a very expensive one. But hopefully it, the price comes down in the future. <laughs> well, certainly if you're able to do all your own work, it certainly would, which yeah. you guys got a lot of good experience. And then I'm going to WVU, and Jordan's going to Fairmont, which has a uh, flight training program there. So we've, we can always further ourselves within college even and get credits there. But uh, I also want to just keep it as a hobby. I really like to fly, but uh, I want to be a doctor, so we can't have both worlds. <laughs> well, be a doctor and then go fly to your patients or something, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah, you got that flexibility. Anything else you guys want to say about uh, your trip or restoring aircraft or anything? Well, not about restoring the aircraft or the trip or anything, but about, you know, a career in aviation. I've always been an entrepreneur. I, I'm, I'm a businessman. I've owned a, me and my brothers owned a business for two or three years now. But, uh, that's what I see myself in the future doing. But, uh, it might in the future help me, uh, with my business. But, uh, like I said, I, I'm open minded. Well, I never said that, but I'm open minded and, uh, I like to, I like to keep all doors open, you could say. So I'm not, I'm not totally excluding the thought of having aviation as a career. So it's definitely still on the pages. Anything else from you, uh, Jared? Nope. Just having a good old time at Son of Fun. <laughs> so I got one more question for you because it doesn't even end there. You guys came to Sun and Fun, and you're not just here as spectators, are you? No, you're, you're volunteering. In fact, I have ridden on your tram. And, and, and you did a fine job, by the way, driving and, and uh, whatever your function was, uh, conducting, Jared. Yeah. So, so, so what's it been like for you to volunteer here? Well, uh, Jordan, I'm the I am the driver, and uh, I have a very respons I have a very strict responsibility. So um, I'm driving. I'm trying not to kill people. That's my main responsibility, really. Well, I, I survived, so I guess you're doing okay. <laughs> but how do you like doing the volunteer gig there, Jared? I really enjoy. Teresa is our boss, our head boss. So, and she's great. And uh, she figured out what our personalities were like and she put jordan on the driver and me as the conductor because i just love talking to people I, I just love getting on there and smiling great big and jordan's a great driver so uh we work pretty well and we get every we get some wristbands for free and free camping so how could you beat it yeah it's it's not a bad deal if you're willing to put in the the work and the effort isn't it you come back next year of course all right. Either. I wouldn't miss it. Okay, great. Well, thanks a lot, guys. It's a really great story, very inspiring, you know, refurbishing your aircraft, learning to fly, coming to Sun and Fun, doing the volunteer work. This is the kind of thing that we like to hear and the perfect type of interview. So thank you very much, you two. Uh, I understand your shift probably starts here in a, in a little bit today, right, on a tram. So go, go enjoy that. And I hope to see you around later. This is Russ Rosleski for Sun and Fun Radio. This is Russ Rosleski from the Stuck Mike Avcast reporting for Sun and Fun Radio. And I am sitting here talking to Andy Wall, the CEO of Auto Gyro USA. Hi, Andy. Hey, Russ. How's it going? I'm doing good. So you have a new product out here, new gyrocopter, right? Absolutely. It's absolutely wonderful news. We've brought out this new model, and it's a world premiere here at Sun and Fun. And it's the evolution of the venerable MTO Sport, the most practiced and most learned upon gyroplane across the world. So it's a real big thing to be launching it here. So what makes it so much better and different? Uh, quite a combination of uh, different features. Well, anything from the ergonomics, which allow the possibility for a five-foot guy to a six-foot six guy, all fitting in the same cockpit with different lever positions for seating, 
the advanced uh, range, so we have a capacity increase from approximately 16 gallons to around about 25, which in- increases the range and usability from three and a half to five hours of flight. Uh, but undoubtedly, the thing that most people are excited about, apart from its fantastic new looks and its styling, bringing it firmly into the 21st century, is the fact that we have a pre-rotation system which allows us to foreshorten the takeoff considerably. So let's say, uh, for example, today's average gyroplane pre-rotation is around about 200 RPM. This aircraft is now capable of pre-rotating up to an amazing 320 RPM. Bearing in mind that you're airborne and not much more than that. So it's it's quite a leap, literally, into the uh, aviation market for us. Well, I got a chance yesterday to fly on one of your gyrocopters, the MTO Free, which is uh, it's tandem seating, you know, one in front of the other. And But the difference with this one, it, just, it doesn't have any kind of real body work. It's very, oh, what, what did you call it, Andy? I've forgotten. Uh, well, some people refer to it as the naked gyro, but when, <laughs> when anyone says, would you like to fly naked, Russ, it worried the heck out of me. But uh, no, seriously, this is, um, this is taking the MTO uh, body, uh, putting it to one side, creating a small nacelle for the instrumentation, but that's it. So yeah, pretty much that's uh, as, as pretty free as you can ever get flying. And it's not necessarily for the faint-hearted, but as you found out, once you're up there, the aircraft stability and ability to take on all of weather and the wind that you had, it really is an amazing experience. I would say liken it to riding a, a naked Harley down the street. It's something to behold and really enjoy. I have to agree. It was uh, you know, the wind flowing through my, uh, well, I had a helmet on, but it'd be through my hair, I guess, if I wasn't. And, and the visibility was fantastic. I mean, I had the uh, the pilot in front of me, so I saw the back of his head a little bit. But other than that, I mean, just looking around, seeing past my feet to the ground, it was a completely different experience than any kind of uh, aircraft with a, any kind of cockpit, really. Yeah, for sure. And uh, being based here at Lakeland Airport, uh, who are doing an amazing job both for this event and throughout the year, uh, I've been flying the Cavalon, our two-seat side-by-side, around quite a lot around here, uh, for sure, over 100 hours in the last three months just in this location. The reality of uh, some strong winds around about six weeks ago gave me the opportunity to roll out the MTO free. Uh, a couple of derisive comments from the tower asking me, what the heck's that? Is it a lawnmower upside down and so on? <laughs> well, I was pretty sure they were going to be impressed. We were facing 26 gusting 38 knot winds. Uh, I sure took the aircraft up practically vertically, hovered sideways over the top of the tower, give them a wave, hands free, totally stable. And uh, the subsequent video produced for my iPhone uh, has so far received somewhere in the region 25,000 views uh, and amazing comments from people who are completely blown away, not by the wind, but by the uh, features of the aircraft and its ability. So it's something of an unknown mystery that gyroplanes can do a lot more than perhaps people give them credit for. It certainly seems like there's a lot of flexibility in, in operation, uh, even in that much wind. Um, for a pilot of fixed-wing aircraft, uh, what's the transition like to go from fixed-wing aircraft into gyrocopters? How long does it take? What's involved? Okay, I mean, as you can hear from my accent, I'm not an expert on all the U.S. licensing and so on. I'm certainly not a CFI. Uh, as I understand it, the current situation is if you are a LSA pilot, you have a transition and a minimum number of hours, but you need a rotorcraft addition. So if you have the PPL, it's relatively simple. The, the beauty of the gyroplane is the clues in the name. It's not a helicopter. It's far, far simpler to fly. Uh, essentially, the controls are very, very easy to operate. It's left for left, right for right, up and down as well, normal. You can operate it and fly it very much like an airplane. Come in, shallow approach over the threshold, power off, head up, 
feel the flare, bang, wheels on the ground, done. Of course, there is another way to fly it, and that's more helicopter style, but it's something that you can achieve over time. So essentially, the airplane transition is the easiest. The helicopter guys also are finding it a simple way. But something that's really significant, and this is something that a lot of the new helicopter schools are learning, is that you can build rotorcraft hours on a gyroplane, which contribute towards your commercial pilot's license. So all this hour building that's going on and these expensive to run 44s, you can do in an MTO, for example, for around about 12% of the operating costs of of a Robinson. So it's something to bear in mind for the future and certainly something we're pushing to the very much the forefront. That sounds very interesting and uh, certainly a big cost savings for people pursuing those licenses. Um, where could I go to find out more about your products? Well, we've got several locations situated around the U.S. and what we've discovered is uh, the absolute best thing we can do is provide service in all four corners of the U.S. and provide centralized uh, purchasing and opportunities. www.orderjarrausa.com. That will give you the dealer list and it will let you direct you to your local uh, platinum service center. All right. Well, thank you very much, Andy. I appreciate the time today. This is Russ Rosleski reporting for Son of Fun Radio. This is Russ Rosleski from the Stuck Mike Avcast reporting for Sun and Fun Radio, standing here talking to Paul Schulten of Eagle Air Show. Paul, you are the pilot of Eagle Air Show, correct? I am. I, I suppose uh, I've got a family. It's a family business, and uh, they help out with the ancillary things and all, and we try and make it fun for everybody, and then Mama lets me keep playing airplane. So what kind, tell us about what kind of airplane you're flying in these air shows and how long you've been doing it. Well, I'm, I have a Kristen Eagle. Um, I bought it back in 2007, and what precipitated this whole thing was I'd, I'd been flying. Uh, I started out in general aviation. I got an airline career, kind of got focused on that, raising a family, funding the 401K, got out of little airplanes. We came to Sun and Fun in 2006, I think it was. I went down and watched the aerobatics. I've always loved aerobatics, and I was just eaten up. I had to get back into it. So started looking around and uh, took a little money out of the bank, bought my Eagle. I was just going to do a few loops and rolls, and uh, then I went and did a few competitions, and one thing led to another. Uh, some really nice people helped me out along the way, and, and here I'm doing air shows now. So yeah, last night we were talking. You know, this, is, this is the great thing about Son of Fun, right? We we're both are sitting there at a table at a Bahamas Invitational Dinner, of all things, and yes. we start talking, and, and that's led to this interview. But you told me some interesting stories about uh, uh, so another famous uh, aerobatic pilot that helped you out. Oh, well, yeah, uh, I guess what, what really got it going and who's been really good to me is Miss Patty Wagstaff. She's my ace, which is aerobatic competency evaluator. And uh, I ran into her at an air show where I was flying uh, a T-34 in a formation act and talked to her about getting a waiver and all, and she was super positive. She's been uh, my biggest fan. She's been just super to me, got me kind of broken into the whole thing. It's tough kind of starting out uh, doing cold calls and all when you're when you're nobody and your waiver's 800 feet high and all, so... She's been fantastic to me, and so now here I am five years later. I, I've got a ground-level waiver. Uh, I do, oh, six to ten shows a year, which is plenty on my plate with an airline career and a family, and uh, it's just it's just been fantastic. She's been super to me. You've got a few shows lined up here in the next few months, I think, too, right? I do. The party I saw you at last night was for the Bahamas Air Show out in uh, Freeport. That's May 19 and 20. It's right over the beach there. We're trying to encourage everybody to fly out. I think I even know of a group of jet skiers that are going to jet ski over from cool. Florida. Come watch the show. Uh, it's going to be over the beach at sunset. Aeroshell will be there. Uh, Eagle Air Show. John Black. I forget who else. Should be a fantastic show. The people out in the Bahamas are, are fantastic. They're just uh, just a very warm, hospitable place. Really looking forward to the show. And I'm going to bring the whole family. We're going to celebrate my daughter's birthday out there. So what a hoot. That's a good place to celebrate a birthday. What, what do you got following that? 
Uh, after that, let's see, I go up to uh, Greensboro, South Carolina, um, Greensboro County Air Show. That's uh, June 10th, I believe, and that, that's going to do it for me for the spring. That'll be four, five shows this spring, and then, then it kind of leaves Florida. You know, we'll pick it back up again in the fall. That sounds really great. Uh, so what else would you like people to know about uh, about how small this uh, this this world is of aviation? Well, it's just fantastic. Like I say, we came to Sun and Fun uh, back in 2006, and my kids were little. They were thrilled to be RV, and they didn't care about the air show. It was just a camp out for them. But I'd drag them around in a wagon, you know, and we'd go watch the air show and whatnot. Now they're teenagers. They've got cell phones. We come here. They've got friends they meet here every year. It's kind of a big extended family. I, I can hardly walk 100 feet without running into somebody, either from my airline job or from the air show scene or just general aviation it's just a the sun fun is just a great event the wife everybody loves it we come here and we spend uh, four or five days every year in an rv and just have a ball it's been great for me it really is there's friends of mine who i see about once a year and it's always it's yeah, sun of fun or, or the the other event to the north that we we won't mention here but <laughs> well paul it's great seeing anything else you want to close with you got a website you want to let us know about yeah, I've got a website, uh, eagleairshow.com. I'm Eagle Air Show on Facebook. Uh, like me, follow me. We always put, uh, my, my daughter actually does most of my social media. She's really good at it. We try to keep a lot of pictures up there, keep it fresh. We should have some fantastic pictures from the show in the Bahamas. It's just so picturesque there, that clear water and all, uh, doing the show right over the beach there. So we're really looking forward to getting some. Uh, and I take a bunch of cameras with me when I fly. We usually try and post that. I'm on YouTube under Eagle Air Show as well. So check it out. Hope to see the show. And uh, my new buddy Orville, we've got my mascot now. He's a little baby eagle. He follows me around, and uh, he wants to learn how to do tricks when he grows up and learns how to fly too. So if you've got kids, they love meeting Orville Eagle, and uh, hopefully we'll see you at a show real soon. Sounds like a lot of fun. Thank you very much, Paul. This is Russ Rosleski for Sun and Fun Radio. This is Russ Rosleski from the Stuck Mike Avcast, reporting for Sun and Fun Radio. And I'm sitting inside a very interesting aircraft with Brad Mazzari from Pipistrel. How are you doing today, Brad? Hey, I'm doing okay, Russ. Glad to meet all my fans out at Stuck Mike and here on Sun and Fun Radio. And we're in a Cenus aircraft from Pipistrel. And the cool part about it, it looks like an airplane, but it's got one important word on the certificate. It's a glider. It does look a lot like an aircraft. It looks like, well, most other aircraft out here, high wing, but it's got an exceptionally long wing, which certainly helps it maintain that glider characteristics, doesn't it? Yeah, it's got a 50-foot wingspan, which the last five feet are removable on each wing tip, so that makes it fit in a standard T-hanger, pretty easy to remove. And with the wingtips on, it has a 27-to-1 glide ratio. So not only does it have incredible glide ratio, it also is a what might be called a motor glider in uh, familiar terms, but really is going on as a what? In the legal terms, this is a self-launching glider. Is the Self-launching motor glider is the legal term for it, and therefore it's got a Rotax 912UL 80 horsepower, and you can... You don't have to fly it as a glider. You can fly it as a regular airplane because it'll cruise at 110 knots at 3.2 gallons per hour. But you've also got that capability, if you want it to behave like a glider, to turn that engine off in mid-flight. That's absolutely correct. You turn off the, uh, you can feather, you turn off the engine, and you can feather the prop. And in this particular aircraft we're sitting in, it even has a variometer, which is a hypersensitive vertical speed indicator. It also, above our heads here, has a red handle, which looks a lot like other red handles I've seen in the roof of a certain other type of aircraft. That is correct. We have a ballistic chute, full, cover, or full aircraft recovery ballistic chute.
So not only do you have the incredible glide range of the wing, the uh, engine you can turn on and off, but you also have a shoe just in case everything else doesn't work out. So what does it take for me as a regular, you know, say private pilot certificate type uh, to be able to learn how to fly one of these uh, self-launching gliders? That is so easy. And everyone should go out and get their glider rating, even if it's not with us in, in a, what you'd call a traditional glider. Uh, as a PPL, all you need is 10 solo launches. And what that means is you're going to go out with the instructor. He's going to fly with you, and he'll do probably five solos on one day. You'll come back. He'll do some more training in five solos on the next day. There's no written. You've already t- you already own a PPL. There's no written. All you've got to do is then do the check ride. And in the check ride, you'll demonstrate that you know how to do thermals. You know how to uh, land the aircraft dead stick, energy management. So it's really pretty easy. You can, as a PPL who's on his ball, you can pass your uh, glider rating in two weekends. Now, you said a very, very important term there. You said energy management. And I know that's a really critical part of, of glider operations, certainly. We tend to kind of gloss over that sometimes with normal airplanes. But within a glider, that's, that's really almost the whole ballgame. And here you have a lot of options for energy management. Why don't you talk about some of those? Roger, you're going to learn to do just traditional glider energy management. What you're going to learn is that, you know, energy management is you have potential energy, which is altitude versus airspeed. And you can, if without a thermal, if you climb, you're giving up airspeed for altitude. So your total energy is still the same. You may think you're getting because you're taller, but you're not. Likewise, when you uh, dive, you're trading altitude for airspeed, your total energy is still the same. It's looking for the thermals where you rise without having to do stick movement. That's when you're gaining your energy. And you'll learn how to, to recognize this. And then you'll learn later as you're coming in for landing how to, you know, like in this airplane, throw energy away to get yourself on the ground so that you cross the threshold at your nice touchdown speed of 45 or 40 knots, you know, and not pick up all this extra energy as you dive in for the runway. Now, you've got something on this aircraft that is pretty standard in gliders, but is fairly rare in small general aviation aircraft. Air brakes, spoilers, right? Yes, this we've got big air brakes. They're 28 inches on the top of both wings. They're technically spoilers because as you open them, they'll spoil the lift going over the top of the wing. And then as you open it more and more, they'll get up five inches tall. So they'll really slow you down. And it's visceral. You've got to feel it. Well, you said uh, you were talking to me earlier, and we talked about uh, if you're too low on approach, when you got the uh, the boards out, you put them in, and instantly you gain 1,000 feet of glide, probably. That's true. And that's part of the training is to learn for you to trust how much, and it's a judgment you learn, but how much closing the air brakes lets you uh I don't want to say extend the glide. That's a very bad statement, especially coming for you power Oh, guys. certainly, yeah, yeah. But that's essentially what you're doing. You're, you're changing the characteristics of the airplane, and you can uh, reach out farther. And likewise, you learn how to, you know, if you're carrying too much energy, to open them all the way up. And you can use that to trade, you know, to just bleed that airspeed off. Well, it's a very interesting aircraft and some... Some very fascinating capabilities. Where could I go to learn more about it? Uh, Pipistrel slash USA.com is our website. 
and you'll see all of our aircraft there. And we have training sites here in Tampa and in San Antonio. Our brand name is Salsa Aviation, which stands for San Antonio Light Sport Aircraft. And we have training facilities at those two places. We also have a training facility up in Pennsylvania and one in Minnesota where we've also got some dealers. So we can come in and you'll get your glider rating. All right, thanks. Uh, anything else you want to tell us about this? Yes. You can get your glider rating. You can solo. Let me be very clear. Thank you. You can solo your gli a glider at 14. What a cool thing to do. You can get your glider license before you can get your driver's license. That's a really cool thing, and I know that's something I certainly would have wished I could have done when I was 14. Because that's the way we're going to get the next generation into this, is getting them, you know, when I tell the kids, you can solo this airplane with a motor on it at 14. They're like, ooh. That is definitely pretty interesting. Well, thank you very much, Brad. I appreciate it. Uh, appreciate your time in the interview. This is Russ Rosleski for Sun and Fun Radio. Well, this is Carl Valeri with the Stuck Mike Avcast reporting for Sun and Fun Radio. And I'm here with the Aviation Maintenance Technician of the Year for the South, Southern, excuse me, Southern Region. And that's uh, Eric Mangelson. Welcome, Eric, and uh, congratulations, by the way. Thank you very much. Also uh, joining me to discuss this is somebody who's actually a, an accomplished pilot and mechanic, and that's Kevin Lacey from Airplane Repo. Uh, Kevin, uh, welcome. Hey, thanks so much. It's good to be here. Well, one of the things that I think is really important is to keep an aircraft running, running properly, and uh, what better to do that than finding a really good mechanic, and uh, congratulations on this award. But first, tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, you didn't just walk in one day and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a mechanic, I want to get this award. You've, you've got a little bit of experience behind you, so tell us a, a little bit about your story as far as where you are and how you got your start. Well, I actually started in 1969. Um, my father had a friend that had a Piper Cherokee. And he took us down to the airport, and my brother and I had our first flight in a private airplane. After that, my brother and I just worked on plastic models, balsa wood models, and then we started flying radio to airplanes. And then when I was in high school, they had a uh, career center for two years through Piedmont Aviation, and I, my brother and I both took that course. And uh, our instructor, Mr. Smoot, uh, was a former Marine, and he uh, was a good instructor. And aviation was one of the things that we definitely were going to have in our lives. And my brother and I told each other while we were in school that we're going to work on planes for a living and fly them for fun. But I didn't buy a car in high school. I bought a hang glider. I had a beautiful Easy Riser. And uh, after that, I joined the Marine Corps was in the infantry, and then uh, became a nuclear biological chemical warfare instructor. And I was in the Marine Corps for four years, and after that, worked a couple odd jobs after I got out. And my wife now, she uh, said, there's an aircraft technician course in Pensacola Junior College through Burnside's Ott. And I said, really? She goes, go register. So I registered, and I missed out on the first week. So my grade point average was a 3.5. I had my airframe ticket, and uh, my wife also goes, Hey, Eric, Destin Airport's hiring, and they're looking for somebody in the line service. Well, I get down there, 
And uh, one of the guys I went to junior high school with uh, recognized me. And his dad was one of the owners for the airport. And I didn't have to fill out any paperwork. He said, you're hired. So I worked the line for about six months. And then my mentor, Joe Snodgrass, in the maintenance department, found out that I had my airframe license. And he offered me a job. And he goes, Eric, it's $4 more an hour than what you're getting now. Of course, I moved right over. Well, I was with that company for over 21, 21 years. Uh, worked up from junior technician all the way up to uh, director of maintenance. And uh, helped establish uh, Mooney Service Center, Cessna Service Center, and uh, also a Cirrus. And then the company went under, and there were three of us left in the maintenance facility with our secretary and our supply manager. And the company closed down, so a buddy of mine up in Defuniac that used to work with me down in Destin had an avionics shop up in Defuniac. So I called him up and said, hey, I'm ready to move up here. And say, well, you can help us, you know, get started. And he's one of my business partners. And we opened up Monarch Aviation Maintenance Incorporated. And we've been up there for seven years now. One of the things that's really interesting about your story is you, you, you saw this, you know, recession and you went forward and kept going. There's a lot of people drop out. Uh, but you, you had the wherewithal to keep going and continue on. There's a lot of people listening right now that want to become maintenance technicians, mechanics, et cetera. And, and they're young people listening and saying, Hey, you know, I'm not sure I could do this. It's, it's daunting. There's so many hours I got to do. There's so much schooling I've got to go to. And, and you kind of went over that really quickly at the beginning there, but it seems a challenge when you're looking at it. So what would you say to something, somebody who's young right now, who's looking at that hill that they have to go over and they want to become an aviation maintenance technician? Go with your, your heart. And your feelings towards aviation. It's a wonderful field. And a lot of people admire us. And we don't really see that. Well, one thing about pilots, I, I've always wanted to become a mechanic. And it's always amazed me when me mechanics come on the plane and help me fix something. And I've, I've always been in awe of what they could do. And uh, so I think on the pilot perspective, we, we look at things and we, we say that, but we really do have a lot of respect for, for maintenance technicians, et cetera, because it is kind of magical when you guys come on board. I'm sitting there trying to work a problem for 30 minutes, and within two minutes you fix it. So a lot of that comes with experience. Uh, but to get that experience can be a challenge for a young person. So we're looking at that hill saying, hey, listen, I want to I get that experience to the point where I can be like you. How do I do that? Go to school and stay in school. And the job that you do find, find a mentor and stick with them. And they'll help you out. You know, you're looking at somebody younger who's looking at getting into this, and they decide that they, they don't want to be an aviation maintenance technician. But with those skills, they can use that in other things. Uh, I've seen people go into doing radar systems on, on boats and things like that. So if you do get into this, these skills are transferable, correct? They're transferable. It depends on what they want to do. Uh, if they go into general aviation, you're very diversified. You're working hydraulic systems. You're working control services. Uh, you go into the commercial field, you're going to specialize. And usually you stay in that field for a little while until you move up, okay? And uh, But for the general aviation aspect, it's, it's going to be really challenging to have the younger group want to do that. They have to be really enthused and love aviation and be very mechanically inclined and be on their toes. 
So that was going to be my next question. Have you looked at people and seen some people that excel more than others? And what type of traits do they have? Typically, if I get a technician, I've trained a lot of former military. And I tell them right off the bat, you're not working on a bullet catcher. You're working on a beer can. Okay? And you can't do what you used to do. And it usually took me, it'd take me one to two years to feel comfortable with them working on a GA airplane. And we're not talking about every aspect. It takes four to six years to get a guy up and going to where I felt really comfortable say, okay, I know you've done this job so many times, and release him to do it on his own. And still have back checks, but I knew he'd have it right. So we, we talked about the, the Southern Region, this, the awards you got. You've actually gotten a few other awards. It's, it's nice to have somebody who's incredibly experienced, and it's wonderful to work around somebody like that. Uh, just for the fact that you know, when, when you come out, there's a sense of calm, too. I think a lot of times when we're new at something, we, we run around and, and we also find ourselves hyperventilating. And you go to the old or seasoned person, I shouldn't call him old guy, and say, hey, listen, kid, <laughs> I didn't just call you old. <laughs> I, 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 the, the more seasoned person, more experienced person, ask them, you know, hey, how do I fix this? And, and now we're, we're passing that along that way, don't you feel? Yeah, yeah we are. And the calmness and understanding and uh, working with your customers is a big thing. And the people that you're, you're working with. It's hard to find a, a shop that has mechanics that have worked together for a long time. The crew that I've been working with, uh, we've been working together for over 20 years. And our turnover at Miracle Strip Aviation was very low. I mean, the shortest person I ever worked with there was, uh, I would say, four years. And they were moving on. But most of the people I worked with, you know, was over a 10-year span at least. In, in, in your Monarch uh, Aviation over there that you have, I know that dealing with the uh, avia- with the FAA and what have you, that's that's one set of disciplines that you have to have. Another set of disciplines is actually managing the shop floor and the hangar floor. Uh, what is your biggest challenge? Is it, would it be managing your customers or getting them to pay your bill? Or what? I mean, there's a lot of hats that you have to wear as a manager in the position that you're in, and obviously you're pretty good at it for winning these awards and what have you. But, uh, you know, what's uh, your biggest where you're at what's your biggest challenge biggest challenge some of these planes can be a royal pain on my bottom <laughs> they don't want to cooperate sometimes i mean they're getting older and you know you pull up the book and you say okay piper says it's supposed to take this long to do it and then when you start you might as well add another five hours they're older planes and when you start opening things up there's other issues you're going to find well, so, a, lot of, a lot of a lot of what you're finding out is uh, that uh, this is a lot of tribal knowledge that is not written in the book, but it's gained from experience on the aircraft, and that's passed on to your coworkers and everybody that wanders into the shop. And I think what Carl was trying to get at is how are we going to pass that on to the next generation as they come along before we expire. <clears throat> I don't like that term. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. Like I said, I mean, find, like I've said, you know, find a company that has reputable mechanics and they understand aviation and get underneath somebody's wing. I mean, that's the only way you're going to learn. An AMP ticket is a ticket to learn. When you receive that, you might as well say, I don't know anything. 
It sure has any licenses a ticket to learn. Wouldn't you agree, Kevin? Uh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, I don't think the feds would ever stop, sit down long enough to uh, consider me for any of these awards for <laughs> just because of some of the annex. But uh, the ticket to learn is what it is. And once you once you're out there with that ticket, hopefully there's somebody there that you can hold that will hold your hand and carry you along the way and show you the ropes and pass on that tribal knowledge. Like I said, you know, a lot of that is uh, simply just gained from being inside inside yeah. the fence. Well, Eric, this has been great talking to you, and you're one that has passed along that tribal knowledge. Uh, but while we're here and we appreciate you talking to us, tell us a little bit about your business, where they can find it, say, online, and uh, where you are located. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. Uh, we're located in Phoenix Springs, Florida. 54 Juliet's the airport designator. Our phone number is 850-951-2111. And uh, just give us a call. We do annuals. We do mods. And we work any general aviation aircraft. So you want an aviation maintenance technician that's won the uh, Southern Region Award. Uh, you go to Monarch Aviation, Eric Mangelson. That's awesome that you've done that. And uh, we really appreciate you talking to us here. This is Carl Valeri reporting for Sun and Fun Radio. This is Russ Rosleski from the Stuck Mike Avcast reporting for Sun and Fun Radio. It's Sun and Fun 2017. I'm standing in front of Hank's Aero Adventures, who advertise a self-fly safari across a, a little bit unusual location. I'm with uh, Nick Hanks of that company. And Nick, where do you guys fly? We work out of Southern Africa. We're based in Johannesburg, and we set up bush flying trips. Um, Cessna 182. Um, we set up a route for you. You get yourself commercially to Johannesburg. Uh, we brief you for a few days, get you checked out in the plane, get you comfortable with the area, and then kick you out of the nest, get with a 182, and off you go. You spend, well, you might fly a two-hour leg going to one place, land there. There's a, a land rover there waiting for you at the airstrip. You go to their camp. They take good care of you and really luxuries uh, accommodations for two or three days, uh, show you around the bush, track the uh, lions, uh, go watch the elephants, and uh, eat well, tablecloth dinners, comfortable rooms, full services, and then fly yourself off to the next lodge and repeat that for a couple of days. And two or three nights after that, go to another place and another place, and eventually you get back to Johannesburg. Well, I think one of the things that a lot of us pilots are concerned about flying internationally is that we have different rules to comply with and different different cultures and, and even different languages sometimes. But it sounds like you kind of handle all that. You really kind of guide us through that when we come over, right? Absolutely. Um, we give you a cockpit trip kit, which details all of the finite uh, the fine points of of uh, the leg that you're actually going to fly all the way from start to finish. You'll get radio frequencies. You'll get a direction to fly in. Uh, you'll get a suggested altitude. You'll get tips about sights to see on either side of the plane as you go along. Um, we'll give you a GPS to make sure you get there. Uh, we give you details when you land at, a, at an airstrip. Where do I get the fuel? We tell you that. Where, do, where is the uh, tower? How do I get to that? We'll tell you that. And the trip kit that we give you covers all of the details of every leg that you fly. It's all, all you have to do is get there and fly the airplane and enjoy the animals. Different length trips available, different distances, number of days? Yeah. 
a good trip. You're going a long way. So really two weeks is probably the minimum time. But um, that would be three days of briefings and preparations in Johannesburg and then perhaps 11 days out flying around in, in uh, uh, South Africa, Botswana, uh, perhaps Zambia, Namibia. Those are all options. And um, the, uh, uh, the time that you, you take is up to you. Uh, two weeks is probably a minimum. But um, uh, if you're only there for a week, we can get you out to do a two-night uh, stop at some place. If you have longer time, do it for a month. We can set up any trip that you want. That would be a fantastic trip, a month long. <laughs> so uh, you said you flew 182s, is that correct? A Cessna 182 is probably right. the best um, uh, machine for this kind of a mission. Um, some people want to do 172s. But a 182, it's a little bit more shoulder room, a little bit more speed, a little bit more load. And uh, the distances are, are pretty good for a Cessna 182. They all have long-range fuel tanks, so you get uh, five hours or more fuel on board. And um, uh, it, works, it works really well with two people um, and luggage in the back seat. Is there some kind of a checkout program or something, if maybe I'm not as familiar with the 182 or very current or something like that? Interesting. South African rules require that you have time in type of the plane that you're going to fly in South Africa. Um, you, uh, uh, so if you have one hour PIC time in a 182, you're legal. Um, if that's all you've got, we suggest you get more time because you want to be legal, but you also want to be comfortable in the machine. So um, while uh, previous ownership of a 182 is good, if you haven't flown it in 10 years, get a little extra time. Go up with an instructor before you, before you come down there and re-familiarize yourself with, uh, with the machine. But it's a 182, and it'll fly like a 182, and it's pretty much a bulletproof machine, and that's why we like it down there. Oh, no doubt. Uh, what... What type of airports are you flying into generally? I mean, are we talking real, you know, stereotypical bush airports? Or are they pretty well-maintained airports? What level of pilot skill, I guess, would be, would be necessary for a trip like this? Well, um, you need to be comfortable uh, in an airplane. Um, you need to be comfortable when you're not in a radar environment. You're going through a, a wide uh, bush area. But let me just start with the, with the runways. You'll start out at Johannesburg's Lanceria Airport. 10,000-foot paved runway. Hardly a bush strip. But now that's where you're, you're starting from, and then you'll go from there to uh, bush strips that are either uh, grass or perhaps gravel or dirt or often what's known as calcrete, which is a mineral that's mined uh, near out in the bush somewhere, uh, broken up, spread over a runway, wetted down, and then rolled flat. And that lasts kind of, it's pretty hard surface, um, and it's called calcrete. Um, but the strips are a 1,000 meters long, 3,300 feet. They're often cleared 50 to 100 feet on either side. Um, approaches are good. They tend to be flat. Uh, we hear about people talking flying in Alaska, and to me, that sounds like serious bush flying. <laughs> Low ceilings, hills, out in the wilderness. Um, in, in Africa, uh, you are out in the wilderness, but it's largely a flat area. Um, so it's, and the weather is good in the season that you fly, so 
it's, um, it's really a piece of cake. If you can fly in the U.S., you can fly in Africa. It's air, airplanes, and airstrips. If you can do it here, you can do it there. Well, it sounds like you got a great program all set up for me to just come right on over and, and jump in then, I guess. Hey, we're ready for you. Okay, I just my next call is to my wife to see if she wants to go to Africa. <laughs> but, but So where can I go to get more information on your program? Go to our website, www.selfflysafari.com, and uh, see us on Facebook. Check out um, our blog, which is all available there uh, at the website. One thing you need to know is that the best season for this is April through uh, September, through the end of September. That's the Southern Hemisphere's winter, summer up here in the Northern Hemisphere. But the temperatures are pleasant, 60s, 70s degrees, no bugs, and um, clear skies usually, and that's a characteristic of the season there. Because it's winter, um, the leaves are off the trees, the grass is fallen down, you can see deeper into the bush to better spot animals. Um, there's less water because the rains have stopped in, in um, the beginning of uh, March or April, and um, all the animals have to come to known watering holes to, to find water, which they need. So you've got the best animal viewing and you've got the best flying between the months of April and September in the Southern Hemisphere. That's the time to do it. That's the time you want to be there. Well, that's the time coming up right now, so I guess I should hurry. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Nick. Uh, it's Nick Hanks from Hanks Aero Adventures at www.selfflysafari.com, and as you mentioned, also on uh, Facebook as well. And uh, this is Russ Rosleski reporting for Sun and Fun Radio. Thanks, Nick. Thank you, Russ. This is Russ Rosleski from the Stuck Mike Avcast reporting for Sun and Fun Radio. I'm here talking to Glenn Ferguson of... IAMA, an organization I won't try to uh, pronounce the word for, but uh, go ahead, Glenn. Yeah, great to be with you, Russ. Uh, IAMA stands for the International Association of Missionary Aviation. So, it, obviously, we just say IAMA because it's a lot easier to say and you don't run out of breath in the middle. It sure is. So, what is IAMA? IAMA is the overall coordinating agency or association, as it says in the name, where we have about 60 mission aviation-related organizations as members of IAMA, whether that be training schools or maintenance facilities or actual mission organizations that are flying in remote parts of the world. So you're, you're kind of the over, uh, overarching umbrella for these organizations, and we're here at Sun and Fun, and we have a whole tent full of all many of these great organizations. Can you kind of mention what some of them are? Oh, yeah. We've got uh, Mission Aviation Fellowship and JARS, uh, Harvest Aviation, Brigade Air, New Tribes Mission, Missionary Flight Training, SOAR, um, Agape, Missionary Maintenance Service. And we got a few more. I can't remember them all when I rattle it off like that. Uh, that's okay. We're going we're to go around and talk to a few of them in a minute. But uh, you mentioned something to me earlier about uh, one of your functions, I won't say one of your missions because that gets a little uh, redundant with missionaries, right? One of your functions is to try to improve efficiencies and reduce overlap with, with your organizations. Right. The goal of IAMA, our vision, is to see the mission organizations cooperating, working together, sharing information, expertise, training, and resources, helping them to prevent overlap at times so that we can be most efficient. Everybody knows that aviation is expensive, and the less overlap we have, the more we can do with what we have. 
sort of the more missions you can carry out with your organization. Absolutely. Well, I think let's go around and uh, talk to some of the organizations here. And uh, where are we going to start out at? Well, we're going to step outside where we've got a Kodiak aircraft on display with Mission Aviation Fellowship. And I see Will White here from MAF. Will, how are you doing today? I'm doing very good. How are you? I'm great. Can you tell us a little bit about MAF? Mission Aviation Fellowship uses uh, aircraft and other strategic technologies to reach isolated people around the world so they can be physically and spiritually transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you fly, uh, you said around the world, any kind of countries that you kind of focus on? We're, we're in the isolated areas. We have programs in Indonesia, Africa, South America. I was in Port-au-Prince, Haiti for 15 years. So we are all over the place. Wow, that's a lot of good, good covers. Thanks. Uh, thank you, Will. Appreciate it. Uh, good luck. Now we're talking with Randy Smith of New Tribes Mission Aviation. Randy, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm um, all right. Can you tell us a little about NTM Aviation? Well, our, our objective is to plant churches among unreached people groups in remote parts of the, earth, of the world. If you live near the ends of the earth, it really helps to have aircraft to help get groceries when you need them. And so our objective is to help our people who are planting churches in remote parts of the world uh, to have the supplies and the equipment that they need to accomplish the task of equipping remote churches to declare God's glory. All right. Sounds really good. Thank you, Randy. Thank you. Now I'm talking with Carrick Tweedy, the executive director of SOAR Aviation. Carrick, what does SOAR stand for? SOAR actually stands for Service Oriented Aviation Readiness. And we are located in Bolivar, Missouri. We actually operate an FBO and operate a mission training program for pilots and mechanics wanting to go into missionary service. And I remember that airport because I stopped through there, and you've got a got something special on the airport floor, don't you? Yeah, on the uh, way to the restroom, which is the first place that everybody goes into uh, to see when they land, we've got a, a 927 uh, runway for crosswind landings into the FBO. That's a lot of fun. Anything else you want to tell us about SOAR? No, I think uh, we've been in business for almost six years now and uh, just trying to help out in the community. We uh, actually uh, got the Small Business uh, Award for our Chamber of Commerce this year, and so we love the way that we can plug into the local community as, long, as well as help in the mission community as we uh, continue forward. All right. Well, thank you very much, Carrick from SOAR. And now I'm talking with Bahia Lacerda. Bahia, how are you doing today? Uh, great. Great uh, to be here. Yeah. And what are you representing here? I'm representing uh, Hope Alliance, uh, Alianza de Esperanza, which is a Brazilian organization working in the north of the country and the area, the Amazon, the big Amazon. That's well, a lot of area to cover, just in one country, and a lot of very remote areas. Well, yeah, no, no, many people know, but that's a huge, huge area that you can fit many taxes inside. Uh, so, what kind of services do you provide for that area? So, we have an airplane based in a city called Macapá, uh, and from there we travel, uh, taking uh, uh, Indian people uh, groups up be- uh, back to their uh, homeland. Uh, medical supplies, uh, medical people, uh, emergency calls, and uh, any need the, the, the people groups of the Amazon they have, we are right there to provide by uh, the transport, the missionary transport we do. That sounds like a, got a lot of good work. Thank you, Bahia. That's a great pleasure to meet you. Brigade Air is next. I'm talking with Bruce Wolf. Bruce, how are you doing? I'm doing great today. How are you, Russ? I'm great. So you tell us a little about uh, Brigade Air, please. Uh, Brigadier introduces teens age 13 to 18 to Missions Aviation through a summer uh, 
uh, aviation camp program. We've had in about 23 states and four places around the world outside of the U.S. Uh, 3,000 kids, 153 camp weeks in the last 17 years. We're kind of the icebreaker, the early recruitment tool for a lot of the other mission aviation organizations here in the room today. Both MAF and JARS have run our camps for 10 or 12 years each, and uh, we do it through partnerships, loaned aircraft, volunteer pilots, to keep the cost of the camp down pretty low. What kind of things do the kids do at these camps? Uh, Hands-on flight activities every day, familiarization flights, introductory rides, ground school all day. They visit the tower. If there's a control tower nearby, uh, we get them a tour on a G5, a G4, a Falcon 900. If somebody has one locally that we can actually let the kids on, they do all that. Occasionally they're crazy enough to let them on, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that sounds like a lot of fun for for a teenager. I certainly uh, think that would be a great opportunity. Well, thank you very much, Bruce. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Russ. I'm now talking with Lori McClary at MMS Aviation. Hi, Lori. Hello. I am with um, MMS, as um, Russ just said, and we are with um, it's, uh, Missionary Maintenance Services. We prepare people and planes for worldwide mission service. And what kind of things does MMS do? One of the things that we do that makes our organization special is, is we do rapid responses. If there's a plane that needs service um, in a so anywhere around the world, we will send a team of people to go and, and get that plane up and running again. That's got to take quite a bit of time sometimes to get the, some services out there in some of these remote areas I've been talking to people about. Yes, it does. Um, we, um, we usually send people, it'll take three, three to four weeks uh, that they're in the location working on the plane. Um, we usually try to center it to that specific amount of time because we don't really like to separate families for longer than three to four weeks. I understand that. Well, thank you very much, Lori. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Moody Aviation is next, and I'm standing here with Jay Bigley. Jay, hi. Hi. How are you doing today, Russ? I'm great. What does Moody Aviation do? Moody Aviation is a school that was founded back in the wake of uh, World War II when a, um, an aviator saw uh, a family that was very remote, a missionary family, who the wife was going through some pregnancy complications and was unable to get out to get assistance. And as a result of that, she passed away, as, as did the baby. And so he said, we can't allow this to happen. He approached Moody Bible Institute about the possibility of having a, an aviation ministry, training young men and young women to go to different parts of the world to meet the needs of the missionaries, to meet the needs of the local church, and to just uh, be a support branch for different mission organizations. So it's a educational uh, function, most of them. Yes. Yeah, we train young men and young women to serve the Lord through technical skills. Uh, we train uh, missionary pilot but all the missionary pilots also have to be mechanics, or they can do a mechanic track. So those are the two basic tracks that we have. It consists of a five-year program. First year is all Bible. The next two years are maintenance. The last two years are flight. All through the two years of maintenance and two years of flight, they're also taking Bible classes. And then all during the two years of flight, they're also every second or third week doing some maintenance practical application on aircraft. Sounds very interesting and valuable work. Thank you very much, Jay. Appreciate it. Yes. Thank you very much, Russ. And uh, it's great to be here. Great to be a part of this event. You bet. Next up is Crystal Pitts from the College of Missionary Aviation. Hi, Crystal. Can you tell us a little bit about your college? Sure thing. Um, the College of Missionary Aviation is here to train pilots to become missionary pilots, train people to become missionary pilots. Uh, we offer uh, Bible classes, we offer flight training, and we offer an AMP program, which is your aircraft mechanics license. And where is the college located? It's located in Keystone Heights, Florida, which is uh, north-central Florida. Great. So how long is your program at the college? Uh, the program right now is about two years. So does this result in a, like a degree of some sort? 
It is. It's actually a bachelor's in missions with an emphasis in aviation. And one of our goals is to try to offer missionary training at a much lower cost. Okay. Well, it sounds like a very interesting program. Thank you, Crystal. Thank you very much. Next up is Mike Maurer from JARS. How you doing, Mike? Doing great, Russ. It's great to be here at Sun and Fun. Can you tell us a little bit about JARS, what it is and what you guys do? JARS began in 1948 as the Jungle Aviation and Radio Service to provide air transportation and communication support for Wycliffe Bible translators in the Amazon jungles of South America. Today, JARS' mission is to make Bible translation and language development possible even in the most remote and difficult-to-reach places of the world so that people one day will have God's Word in their heart language. We do that in four main areas. Transportation, that's air, sea, and land. Come see our airplane, our boat, and our four-wheel drive here at Sun and Fun. Technology, media, and training in all of those areas. So it's like a lot of good support. Nothing nothing flies without all that back uh, background support, does it? That, that's right. It's all a teamwork. It's all team. You bet. Well, thank you very much, Mike. Appreciate it. You're welcome, Russ. Good to be here. Now I'm talking with Keswick Kemp of Missionary Flight Training. Keswick, how are you? Oh, good. I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Uh, tell us about Missionary Flight Training. Missionary Flight Training is based in Fort Pierce, Florida. We are sharing a space with Missionary Flight, uh, MFI, in Fort Pierce. Um, we are right on the East Coast. We are, um, our main base is 45 minutes south of the airport, and we have a unique situation there. We... Um, we have a Bible college, we have a Bible church, and we have a missionary organization. And so we can get an uh, associate of aviation degree at the college and do our flight training at, at the airport. What kind of flight training are you offering? We have a twin, Seneca. We have a 150, we have a 172, and so you can get your commercial, private pilot, anything you want. Yeah, all the way from startup to multi-engine rating. The only thing we don't do is a A&P. Okay. Uh, about how long uh, does it take someone to become a qualified mission pilot? At the college, we do a two-year program with an associate's of aviation degree. And that's how long it takes. All right. Well, thank you very much, Keswick. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. I've now moved over to Missionary Flights International, talking with Wes Norton. Hi, Wes. Can you tell us about Missionary Flights International? Sure. I'd be happy to. Missionary Flights International is a Christian mission organization that was started back in 1964. We currently fly for over 450 different uh, Christian mission organizations, evangelical mission organizations working in Haiti, Dominican Republic, and around the Bahamas. And we fly a fleet of uh, turbine-powered DC-3s. And with those airplanes, we provide passenger service as well as cargo and mail service. We uh, also get involved in emergency evacuations and disaster relief when, when the situations arise. Now, I know a lot of uh, missionary aviation work is done in much smaller airplanes than a, certainly a turbine DC-3. That certainly gives you some enhanced capabilities. It sure does. The airplane can carry up to 30 passengers, and we can carry a good load of about 7,000 pounds in the airplane. Well, that's definitely got to help out in somebody's relief efforts. It sure does. We can move a lot of stuff in a shorter period of time. All right. Well, thank you very much, Wes. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. I've walked over now to talk to John Hoke of Massa. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing excellent. How are you? All right. So tell us, what is MASA? What does it stand for? What do you guys do? It stands for Mission Aviation Support Association of Florida. And uh, we are a logistic organization that uh, helps uh, bring in mission organizations, aviation organizations, to Sun and Fun so that they can have visibility at the event. So I understand that without you guys, 
there there might not be this the tent you guys have here or the grounds and the places park the airplanes and all that kind of important stuff is there uh, that's correct we're we're pretty much the support arm for those organizations um, to come here and be visible to be on site uh, for them to do it on their own some could afford it but most of them could not by us helping them uh, find housing uh, feeding them uh, wristbands uh, everything that they need to be able to be here uh, is what we do yeah, certainly everything that goes into a successful uh, operation like this right correct yeah all right well thank you very much john i appreciate it all right thank you and i'm back now with glenn ferguson glenn i just want to say thank you for taking me around to all these fine mission organizations and let me get a little bit of what each of them does yeah, it's, it's great to have you come by and allow us to just share with the wider community of what we're doing. And uh, the MASA group here that you just talked to, they help tremendously. They do so much stuff behind the scenes to make it possible for us to be here at Sun and Fun. And we're just really grateful for that. Now, I understand that I could probably go to the IAMA website and get information or at least links to all these different organizations I talked to today, correct? Yeah. Under our FAQs, you'll find a, a members link, and you can go down and learn more about each one of the uh, members, those that are here and those that uh, weren't able to come this year. So you can go there to the IAMA.net website. All right. Sounds very good. Thank you, Glenn. Glad to be here, Russ. Thanks. This is Russ Rosleski from the Stuck Mike Avcast, reporting for Sun and Fun Radio, standing here at the M0A.com booth talking with Jason Shepard. Jason, how are you doing today? I'm doing awesome, Russ. Good to see you today, my friend. Of course, it always is. Now, you have a few things planned for 2017, some new upcoming materials, don't you? Sure. So on top of doing our big ACS push, everything has been this back-to-your-roots, stick-and-rudder. The difference between being a current pilot and a proficient pilot. A current pilot says, oh, I'm current up to the FAA's three takeoffs and landings to carry passengers. But a proficient pilot says, would I take my wife flying? Would I take that friend from work flying? That's what we're really striving for is proficiency. So we've gone back, we've made all our courses, not only up to these new ACS guidelines, but the push for ACS is really this real world scenario-based type training. And we've made our course that way. Yes, you're going to pass your written and your check with flying colors. But most importantly, I'm going to teach you through stories, great real world you know, beyond the book flying principles, you know from flying a ton that sometimes what happens in the book, what happens in the real world are two totally different things. We really want to kind of draw that line and say, you need to know this for the written test, the knowledge test, but this is what happens out in the real world. This is what you really need to understand. And that's what we're trying to separate. We moved on now to our CFI ground school, just launched the FOI portion of that. It's like getting a master's degree in education. We really went Again, beyond any PTS or ACS for the FOI as well. So it's a lot of neat stuff. It's, 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 we're just trying to take everything beyond the checklist, beyond the books. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. There, you're right. There's a certain amount you have to learn for the check ride, but, but what comes past that is so much more of flying. And it really looks like you're trying to, trying to cover that. Any kind of specific examples of stuff that you have coming out? Absolutely. Just sharing through stories of, Radio communications. You can read in the AIM about how to do these proper radio communications, but getting up there, we made a flight following video. We requested flight following. It was me doing the same flight five different times on five different days with five different controllers. And guess what? We got five different responses from those five different controllers because I can teach you flight following in a perfect scenario, but it's not always the same. You get different controllers, different end numbers, everything else. So that video really shows students like, wow, I can know the basics, but there's always a little wrench they can throw into things sometimes. So really, truly understanding that. So we're just going out of the way to show things like that. 
How about training materials for more advanced ratings like multi-engine and such? Absolutely. We're working on multi right now. We picked up the Technum. Uh, that way we can do some glass panel training as well as some multi-training. We've done some multi-YouTube videos you guys have seen on Facebook as well. Uh, so we're moving towards multi as well and really trying to appeal. Uh, our business has always been appealing to the hobbyists, but moving more towards now the commercial-minded, career-oriented individuals, taking them from private all the way up to now working on career placement opportunities. There's this Carl guy. He's helping us out with it. Maybe you've heard of him before. So. Oh, Carl Larry for the Stuck Mike Gaffcast. Yeah, I heard of him once or twice. He's an okay guy, you know? So it's, it's great, man. Just really help these people find great careers and scholarships in aviation to really make it all happen. And we work on the safety side of things. Well, you know, it sounds like you really covered all bases. I mean, for myself, I started out as a hobbyist pilot, but now it's become more of a career, kind of a part-time for me. But that's true for a lot of other people, too. They start out, you know, hobby flying for a while, then they maybe they retire from their first career and go want to go pursue something else. So now it sounds like they've got kind of that training avenue to, to, pers- to go through. Absolutely. It's always the question, am I too old to start? Am I too old to go to the airline? I mean, we, we deal with so many people and try to help them know all their scenarios and all facets of life. Some people are just happy. Man, I just want to instruct on the weekends and keep my full-time job because it's a great full-time time job. Um, so we really work with everyone to set them up for success with that. Sounds great. Anything else you wanted to tell us about today? Uh, we have John Glenn's Baron is here oh, at yes. Sun and Fun yes, uh, on the Warbird ramp. Uh, five two three, right the side of it. Uh, John Glenn's uh, official funeral was actually just yesterday. Flags are at half mass, so it was really just a a neat thing to share. Uh, bought the airplane new in nineteen eighty one, flew it till his ninetieth birthday, uh, using it as a state center. It's a working airplane. It's not a museum piece by any means. It's a working airplane. It's got Friendship Seven on the side. He physically signed it uh, literally months before he passed away. It's just a cool piece of aviation history. Well, Jason, I appreciate the time today. I mean, you're always a, such a tough interview, you know, pulling the information out of you, really trying to get you to talk. But thanks a lot. Uh, Jason Shepard, M0A.com, website, YouTube, Facebook, all kinds of stuff, right? This is Russ Rosleski for Sound Fun Radio. This is Russ Rosleski from the Stuck Mike Avcash reporting for Sun and Fun Radio. And I'm standing here talking to Joanna and Jared Justice, and they have a pretty interesting story to tell of their flight here to Lakeland for Sun and Fun. Uh, Joanna, I guess the most most interesting detail is tell us how old you are and when you got your pilot's license. I'm 17 years old as of December 5th, 2016, and I got my certificate January 1st, 2017, so I've had it for about three months. About three months and flying all the way from... Viola, Arkansas, 850 miles. Okay, Arkansas here to uh, Lakeland, Florida. And fortunately, you had a little bit of help. You had a co-pilot, Jared. Jared, tell us about yourself. I'm 15, and I just, I'll be 16 here in a couple days, so this is kind of for my birthday. And I just helped Jenna fly down here. That's great. Are you working on your pilot certificate? Yes, I am. All right. That's fantastic. Uh, so, so tell us about the flight. I mean, you, you've been a pilot for three months now, and you figured, what the heck? <laughs> Let me go all the way to Sun and Fun. I mean, how, how did you plan it out? Well, luckily, I had a GPS given to me in January. Otherwise, I would have done it all by chart and compass, which I would have had to leave a little sooner than that. But we started out, we took off about 2 o'clock Sunday afternoon, and I couldn't get anybody else to go a little sooner. They, You know how packing goes with some people. So <laughs> we can't get it going any sooner. Anyway, our first stop was in Jonesboro, Arkansas, which was 60 miles east of where I took off in Salem. Actually, the airplanes kept in Salem at the airport there. I think, actually, we, we didn't know what kind of airplane it was. 
Yeah, it's a Cessna 150 1968 J model. It's orange and white, bright orange and white. It's got a hundred horse uh, Continental. And anyways, I took off from Salem. I had to land in Jonesboro to get some oil because I didn't have any. Landed there. They knew I was in a hurry because there was a huge storm cell just right behind us a couple hours. So they they were really nice and friendly and helpful. They got us going. And then the next stop, it was kind of bumpy to the next fuel stop. It was in, uh, yeah, the first fuel stop was Tuscaloosa Class D airspace. So we landed there. And we were, that was pretty much max, three and a half hours range. We couldn't have gone any further than that. Yeah, that's a long flight, even especially in a 150, isn't it? Yeah, but it was, it was a little bumpy because I think we'd get in the edge of the thunderstorm. So we landed there. It took 45 minutes to get fuel. Of course, controlled airports take a long time. I should have just landed somewhere else. It would have been a little faster, but I was going to see if they had a Florida sectional there, which kind of doubtful now. People don't carry sectionals around anymore because I didn't have one. It's kind of nice to have one around, but so we flew on. So in total, it took you how long? It was about, well, a flying time, it was about 11 or 12 hours, but of course, counting fuel stops and stuff, it was like 14, probably 14 hours or something. Is this the longest flight you've done yet, or, or is this just old hat to you at this point? You know, with three months since your certificate and, you know, maybe 100, 115 hours, and you've done this kind of thing all the time? Well, actually, it is the longest flight. But the day I got my certificate, I was headed home to Arkansas from Madison, South Dakota. That's where I got my certificate, or the check ride. And I took flying lessons in Canby, Minnesota. I had the same instructor my dad had 16 years ago, Tony Hinches. And he's just a really good instructor, so he kind of did us a little favor by instructing me. Because he usually, he flies big jets, so he's busy all the time. So he kind of... It was hard to schedule lessons with him, but it was worth it. So, yeah, that was the second longest kind of cross-country I did. The very first cross solo cross-country I did was 250 miles because that's where we were working. So I just flew in, and then after that, I uh, kind of followed the camper and the semi from job to job. So that's how I got a lot of cross-country time before I got my certificate, and that was... Um, I, you know, I had to get permission from my instructor every single cross country I had right. to do. Right. But yeah, and that was all by map and compass. I didn't have a GPS then. Sounds like you were actually pretty well prepared for this trip then compared to, well, certainly when I got my certificate, I mean, I, you know, three months later, I wasn't flying to, to cross the country to Florida. You did have a little help though. So Jared, uh, tell us uh, what you did on the flight. Well, when Jenna was looking for fuel stops, I was flying, and when she'd look at the weather or called WX Brief, I was flying. Mostly, I just flew when she either had something else to do or she just didn't really feel like it at the moment. Well, it's good to trade off uh, responsibilities sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, that was, it was fun. I'll do it again next year. Oh, you're going to come back next year and do the same thing? I plan to. This... You, Joanna? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> That'd be awesome. And Oshkosh, too. That's our next stop. No doubt. Well, maybe I'll see you there. Any problems you face along the way, uh, weather or uh, you know, any, any emergency type situations? Actually, it really went smooth. There wasn't, we didn't have emergencies, but the only thing that really was a hindrance, which really still wasn't, was 
When we left Monday morning to finish the 175 miles to uh, to Sun and Fun, we had a broken, barely broken overcast ceiling. So we were flying 800 most of the way. So that was really the only thing that was, you know, if you'd say anything bad about it. But otherwise, no. Well, it certainly sounds like a really exciting trip, and I hope that uh, you two will make it up to Oshkosh, and maybe I'll see you there. Maybe maybe we'll get another interview about how that went. That's a little bit shorter flight from Arkansas, isn't it? From Arkansas to Oshkosh? Yeah. I don't know. I think it's a little bit shorter. It, it might be. Yeah. Um, but I think after we leave here, I'm going to fly back home, and then pretty quick after that, we're supposed to go back to North Dakota for the summer. So that's going to be 850 miles plus about 700 miles, pretty close together. And then we'll leave the airplane up there, probably in a hangar or tied down, and we'll have to come back to Arkansas and get another load, bring it up to North Dakota for the summer. And then come around wintertime, we'll be hauling everything back south. Okay, a lot of traveling, a lot of great cross-country experience. I know there's a lot of pilots listening to this that are thinking, man, I wish I could have done that one out when I was 17 and 15. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> well, Joanna and Jared, I appreciate you talking with me today, and um, certainly we'll be looking for you later, and then good flight on the way back. Uh, this is Russ Rosleski reporting for Sun and Fun Radio. This is Russ Rosleski from the Stuck Mike Avcast reporting for Sun and Fun Radio. I'm standing here next to Mark Holt with a very interestingly painted uh, Phenom 100, isn't it, Mark? Yeah, it is. Phenom 100 built by Embraer in Melbourne, Florida. But it's more than just a pretty paint job. This is an exceptionally beautiful paint job. Tell us about it and what it's called. Well, it's called the Millennium Phenom uh, for obvious reasons, the tie to the Star Wars theme. and But we went one step further and tied it into Star Trek and also Back to the Future. But, um, yeah, it was kind of a fun experiment. I sold my company and decided to repurpose the jet to uh, contribute back to the Veterans Airlift Command Group. And um, ran into a guy by the name of John Starr who asked me, how does it feel to fly a jet? And I told him, and we went from a camo paint job to a pseudo camo with a bunch of Star Wars uh, items on it. It's been a lot of fun. We spent... uh, I think we spent about uh, five months going back and forth with design concepts, and John is amazing. Never once photoshopped anything. Everything was airbrushed. I got a stack of about 60 foam boards in my hangar that have uh, reiterations of it. But it, he designed it, and uh, then we took it to Benton Harbor and had it painted at the shop in Benton Harbor. And um, they did all the technical aileron removal, things like that. But. Yeah, it's really a beautiful paint job. I mean, you can't miss it as you walk down the flight line. It's It looks like a spaceship by design, of course. I mean, we've got you know, nuclear reactors and uh, flux capacitors, and there's a painting of what looks like the corporate version of the X-Wing on the tail and and ion cores or something in the engine. Yeah, dilithium crystal. Dilithium yeah. crystal. Okay, very good. Yeah, I see the dilithium crystal and Jet A fuel caps there. Very good. So you can't miss it. But this is more than just... Uh, flying a pretty looking airplane around isn't it? i mean there's a mission here oh absolutely uh, my wife and i are pretty philanthropic and nothing means more to us than to give back to those who served our country and and hooking up with walt fricky with the veterans airlift command a few years back in in vegas just became our trigger and so that's what we do we give post 9-11 purple heart recipients rides to appointments uh we do uh, uh occasional world war ii vet when there's an air show requesting them uh, as a featured speaker or something. Uh, we've done some Vietnam vets, but but uh, Veterans Airlift Command is an amazing, amazing group and they're doing amazing things for our wounded wounded veterans. How often are you flying missions for them? Uh, I've done nine so far. I'm trying to do as many as I can, but it's got to tie in with, you know, 
schedules. But it's not just me. All you know, there's a big host of mm-hmm. corporate aircraft that are donating their time and seats on their airplanes to do the same thing. Um, I, I'm kind of a small player in the game of providing rides, but I'm a big player in that the plane helps to promote the organization. So uh, Walt was kind enough to give us a special spot in front of his bus. Well, you certainly can't walk by this airplane without starting to ask some questions. So undoubtedly, Veterans Airlift Command is going to be uh, very well advertised as a result of just just this airplane. Right, right. And, and we're excited about that. And it's, it's, it's really humbling. You know, you give a young man a ride and you drag his bag out of your luggage compartment and he's got his purple heart stuck right to the top of the bag, and get, it gets you in the throat. It it steals your heart. Well, as a veteran myself, I tell you that I certainly appreciate this. Now, obviously, I I hopefully will not need the uh, transport of your your airplane, but I know that there are a lot of a lot of us out there that do, and uh, I know for all of us, we certainly thank you for what you're doing. Thank you. That's an honor. It truly is an honor. Well, thank you very much, Mark. Uh, anybody who wants to see the most interesting painted uh, business jet around, come on by the uh, the Warbirds ramp and take a look at the Millennium Phenom. Thanks, Mark. Thank you, Ron. This is Russ Rosleski, 44, Sun of Fun Radio. This is Russ Rosleski from the Stuck Mike Avcast, 44, Sun of Fun Radio. I'm standing here talking to Mark Sorensen, who is the lead pilot of the Twin Tigers aerobatic team. How are you doing today, Mark? Hey, I'm great, Russ. Uh, thanks for pulling me over and, uh, and talking to me today. I appreciate that. Well, you know, you just walk around and you see people to talk to, and that's that's my job. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, so tell us about your uh, aerobatic team. I tell you, um, it, this has been a great experience uh, being part of an aerobatic team. And, uh, um, you know, we started it about three years ago um, and uh, just having a lot of fun. I fly uh, a Yak-55. It's an old uh, design school pre-Sukhoi 26, 29 series, you know, 31 series aircraft. But it's uh, kind of been retired out of the competition scene, but makes a beautiful aircraft for uh, air shows. Um, but anyway, we, we uh, paint them up like a couple tigers. Uh, this Just because my now 10-year-old son, back in the day, was five, he says, Dad, it sounds like a tiger when you fly by. And so um, that kind of gave us some inspiration to how we wanted to present the act uh, versus some other fancy uh, paint job. And so, you know, we came up with a couple of tigers and we said, we're going to take on the the uh, late Steve Irwin look and become trainers and not become tigers ourselves. But, you know, make that part of a, a family, you know, orientated uh, airshow routine act. Sure. And having two aircraft in the aerobatic act makes you stand out a little bit, you know, makes you a little bit different, doesn't it? Yeah, I did solo um, performances for about, uh, see, from 2009, 10, all the way to about 2012. And a lot of competition in there. I mean, you really have to uh, hit the bar a little higher uh, just to be able to stand out, you know, or really have some uh, sponsorship uh, behind you that's uh, really willing to push you to the exposure level. And uh, we found out that uh, having two planes was much more fun to watch. And um, one of the unique things with our act is uh, I created a ground-based pyrotechnic system uh, that doesn't use high explosive. We just use propane uh, fuel and uh, diesel oil and whatever else mix match we can get together to make black smoke. And we create these little fireballs about 20 feet in the air and they turn in these beautiful smoke rings. So if you travel to our website, you can see some great pictures of these 300 foot diameter smoke rings we make and we fly the tigers through it. Trying to keep in the kind of a theme of what you would probably see at a circus. You know, therefore, you know, one of the reasons we have our uh, air show act called Circus Maximus. 
That sounds like a lot of fun, certainly. Now, you were telling me earlier about some new technology you're, you're trying to incorporate into your flights. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, this is exciting stuff here. And that's one of the reasons we come to Sun and Fun in Oshkosh every year is uh, we love to see what's coming new. You know, what what is new out there in the market that's incorporated? And if you remember, in 2000 and, uh, let's see, two, last summer, uh, 2016, Facebook which is one of the largest social media sites out there, just introduced Facebook Live, okay? Uh, so we were really intrigued with that technology. I was wondering if there's a way that we can incorporate that technology into the cockpit. Also, YouTube has incorporated live broadcasts or live streaming technology on their site. So our channels with uh, YouTube and our, and our page at Facebook are now capable of streaming live you know, video footage. Well, a lot of people on social media have taken advantage of that, but I wanted to take it one step forward. I want to be able to create the experience for the audience so where they could either watch on their personal electronic device live as we're performing in the cockpit. So they can see us, see what we're doing, hear our calls, listen to ATC just as if they were in the back seat. Because as you know, we can't have anybody in the back seat but then again we don't have a back seat so that's not really a problem for us but um but anyway we wanted to get to that experience level and we did a test market here this march over at the titusville tyco warbird air show and it was phenomenal we didn't advertise it you know we wanted to see just how many people would pick up their phone and log on and watch the routine and it was amazing uh, to see that just with the PA announcement alone, folks log on to my personal page website and see the comments and and, uh, and watch what people were able to experience. Now, there is a slight delay, but it's less than five seconds, you know, from what we're actually doing up there to what they actually see, but they can actually experience it. Now, what we're moving new toward 2017 this year is we're bringing three-dimensional uh, three and 360-degree live streaming from the cockpit to the audience. So this is going to allow our audience members, whether they're at the show or at home, to put on the VR goggles that are so popular now, okay, from Samsung and all sorts of even, and even those Google VR goggles that you make out of cardboard will work because it works with your smartphone. And it just depends on how it's broadcast. So that is what we're moving towards. So you can basically sit in your chair and it's like sitting in my lap or in the front seat and you hear and see everything we see. And that's the technology that we're moving toward to enhance the air show experience, if that makes any sense to you. That is really exciting stuff. I mean, you, you've got basically the entire experience except for the g-forces it seems you're going to work on that next <laughs> <laughs> well yeah unfortunately that's not a real good way that the the, 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 yeah. the the people at microsoft flight simulator would have probably done that a long time before us <laughs> that yeah that's right so where can i find out more information about all this stuff you're doing a website facebook um right now uh, we, yeah we're trying we keep our uh, website updated with our dates of where we're flying uh, our next shows at that's at tigerairshows.com uh, you can follow me on Facebook personally at Mark Sorensen, you know, uh, at Facebook. Um, all of our videos are open public. Um, or you can follow our team page, which is a Walkabout Tigers aerobatic team. So either one of those things we will be broadcasting live. We'll have our new uh, YouTube channel up and running here in about three weeks when the 360 cameras arrive and we'll get the testing done with that. And that will probably be done under the Twin Tigers aerobatic team page. 
So, all right. Well, that is some really exciting stuff, and I look forward to checking some of that, uh, some of your websites out, and checking out your next routine. Thank you very much, Mark. I appreciate it. This is Russ Rosleski for Sun of Fun Radio. This is Russ Rosleski from the Stuck Mike Avcast reporting for Sun and Fun Radio at Sun and Fun 2016. I turned a corner here in one of the exhibit hangars and saw a picture of a F-16 showing its uh, weapons load to me in another airplane. That concerned me a little bit with a note above that said, don't get intercepted. So I'm talking to Lieutenant Colonel Tom Outlaw Gustin, who wants to keep me from getting intercepted. Tom, what is this all about? Hey, uh, uh, thanks for stopping by our booth. Um, We're here from NORAD headquarters at uh, Peterson Air Force Base to talk about uh, temporary flight restrictions and how not to get intercepted by a NORAD fighter. We have over 300 intercepts a year, and we're trying to keep everybody safe out there and uh, reduce the costs and uh, spread the word about TFRs and, and how not to get intercepted. And that's it. Well, I see a handout you've got here, and uh, it says the number one reason that general aviation aircraft are intercepted is by entering restricted airspace and not talking to air traffic control. Well, how can I prevent that? Uh, we've got this great tool here, and uh, kind of the key things we want folks to do is plan ahead. All you need to do to plan ahead is check your TFRs through the uh, TFR FAA website, call flight service, um, or and get your 1-800 weather brief. You can update your TFR uh, during your flight using a lot of the great uh, programs out there with your avionics systems. Um, we also want you to talk to air traffic control. If you know you're going to be flying in an area where there might be active TFRs, we want you to talk and if you can, squawk. Uh, get that uh, discrete code. That's going to keep you safe. They're going to keep you uh, out of the temporary flight restrictions and prevent an, an, uh, an intercept. Now, certainly one of the most common or, I guess, well-popularized TFRs is when the president travels. Uh, those are rather large, and they're pretty well-publicized, but there are other ones, aren't there? That's right. Uh, we've got all kinds of different TFRs. Um, uh, the ones that we protect are, are things like uh, VIP movements, the president, uh, also the Super Bowl, um, you know, uh, Cape Canaveral or, or missile launches, things like that. Uh, we're protecting all those because we want to keep you safe and, uh, and uh, the other folks safe. Uh, but there are also TFRs for things that we don't protect, like wildfires. Those are going to be your pop-up TFRs uh, and some things like that. Now, you've got on this, uh, this card I'm looking at some kind of ways to communicate if I do get intercepted. Because I can imagine that airplane pulls up next to me in my 172 or whatever. Uh, that that could be a little bit concerning. Uh, what should I be looking for? Yeah, so the first thing we want you to do if you find a fighter on your wing is, is remain calm and relax. He's not there to, to uh, um, shoot you out of the sky. We've got to go through a lot of steps to determine, you know, what kind of a threat a general aviation aircraft is. So he's going to come along. He's going to rock his wings on the side of your aircraft. We want you to respond with another wing rock. That tells us that you've seen him and you recognize he's there. And then he's going to turn to a heading, uh, either left or right of your aircraft. And what that means is we want you to just to follow that heading. That's going to take you out of the, uh, the protected area and get you on a heading going on the correct direction. What will probably happen at that point is the fighter will just go away, and that means that you're out of the, the area. We want you to kind of continue uh, on that heading for a while and go on your way. You might get a phone call from the FAA or air traffic control at some point. We'd also like you uh, to come up 121.5 as soon as you can to talk to folks um, and, and start communicating right away. So it seems like if I, if I do get in this uh, scenario, probably it was a result of, of inadequate flight planning, I would say. That's, uh, you know, 90% of our intercepts are from general aviation pilots, and, and most of those are just um, folks just not planning ahead, not talking, just making a simple mistake. Yeah, it sounds like it. Anything else you wanted to add? You have a, guys have a you have a website down here, don't you? 
We do. Uh, yeah, if you want to learn more about NORAD and, and what we're doing, there's www.norad.mil slash general aviation. Find out a lot of great, uh, great things about uh, what we do. All right. Thank you, Lieutenant Colonel Tom Outlaw Augustin. Uh, this is Russ Rosleski reporting for Son of Fun Radio. Thanks. Well, Russ, that, that was pretty cool. Those are some awesome interviews you did. I really enjoyed uh, the different characters, actually. There's so many different personalities at, at the air show, and I think you kind of brought that out. That was so cool. Yeah, I re- really had fun, and, and I think you can tell by by my tone in these. And and some of them, you know, I went back and I had to listen to again. I did a little bit of editing, maybe a little bit of cleanup. You remove some noise and that kind of stuff. And I remember on several, I'm just smiling as I was listening to them and listening to the energy that that some of these these interviewees had and their passion towards aviation. And I, I think when you're interviewing someone and you listen to it again and you're smiling, that's probably a pretty pretty entertaining interview <laughs> yeah they sure were and i was smiling uh, through quite a few of those learned a lot uh about different people's journeys even and about different products and i'm i love going back and listening to these because i always learn something new during during son of fun something we're going to do at other air shows too we're going to record some more and like i said in the beginning of the show don't forget if you have an air show or you have an event that's local and you want us to come out to it uh, we have hosts all over the country and if you want to to record interviews that can be played on the Stuck Mike Avcast so your friends or you can enjoy it if you didn't make it there will be more than willing to do that also by the way I forgot to mention uh, don't forget to visit our sponsor aerospacescholarships.com aerospacescholarships.com the largest online directory of verified scholarships you can find many there's over the organizations that are represented in there give over 10 million dollars in scholarships and it's growing every day Uh, it's available on iTunes and also in amazon.com well well, Russ, this has been a blast, and I can't wait to do this again next year. My question to you, Russ, are you going to make it to AirVenture, maybe? I will be at AirVenture, yes, <laughs> for at least a few days. Yes. So hopefully I will see you there. I will be there. I'm, I'm going to, you know what? That's it. I'm going to say it. I'm going to be at AirVenture. This will be my first AirVenture. And right. uh, Yes, definitely will be there. It may be for one day or two. I'm not sure yet, but uh, I'll definitely be there, and I'm really excited. I, I've always wanted to go. I, I love that whole area, obviously, but uh, it's tremendous from what I hear, from the pictures and from everybody else that are there. Uh, but big shout-out to everybody that gets involved with the radio and all the interviews done, and social media has become huge during this whole event, and I think it's really cool to see these people out there putting out content and all the new general aviation podcasts podcasts that are out there. It's just so exciting to be part of that huge community. Well, Russ, I appreciate what you've done uh, the past year. You really knocked it out of the park with these interviews and and also, of course, with the the live interviews at Sun and Fun Radio. Don't forget to visit our sponsor, of course, during the event, and that would be Sun and Fun Radio. Uh, You can actually do flysnf.org to see what's uh, going on at Sun and Fun all year round. They have many different events. Of course, uh, Stuck Mike Avcast will have volunteers there. And by the way, I, I forgot to mention that also. We're all volunteers at these events. When we go to these things, we volunteer our time to help out the different radio stations. It's just something we love to do and give back to aviation and to the community. So uh, make sure you say thanks to those other volunteers that are out there. There's some people that do some very, very important things. And we have over 3,500 volunteers at Sun and Fun every year. 
and exponentially more up at uh, AirVenture. Uh, the other thing, too, don't forget that you can actually live stream that liveatc.net slash SNF. You can also live stream a lot of other content. And our Dave Pasco, a great person, that actually is the person that sponsors mo- all the live streaming, I should say, at Sun and Fun Radio. Uh, and he is the person that owns liveatc.net. He does a great job. Well, folks, from myself and the rest of us here at the Stuck Mike Avcast, I really appreciate your listening. And uh, don't forget to go out there and do something fun, do something uh, fun in aviation, and uh, check out something new, uh, some of these interviews. You might have been interested in uh, the products, etc. Go, you know, take a test flight and uh, check out the manufacturers online. We'll talk to you next episode, and safe flying. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.